All right. A lot of ground to cover tonight. I think this will be the last study in this series where we're doing so much. But I guess that's really subjective too, isn't it? So, but I think, I think from here on out, the studies will be a little bit lighter. But tonight's pretty heavy. You can see all those verse references that we got, so we'll just... We'll just cruise along together. <clears throat> and uh, since time is of the essence, how about I pray and then we'll jump into our first passage there in Matthew 8. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that you are exalted, that we can sing such lofty songs of you and that every word is true, that you are exalted, you are the king, and uh, we will praise you now and forevermore. Lord, we ask that you would help us tonight as we look into your word to see more and more of what it is that we need to know about the supernatural realm, that we would be better educated about demons and their work, and that we would be better equipped to stand against the work of our enemy, that we would uh, better live for you because of the time that we spend together in your word uh, looking into this tonight. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, we're looking at Satan and demons in the New Testament. Last week, we looked at the Old Testament. This week, the New Testament. And you can see a couple of statements that we're going to uh, unpack tonight with all these P words. What an alliteration. Demons have personality and power. Satan and demons are perverted and will be punished. All right, so those are the two main sections. And it's, I think, okay if we don't make it all the way through tonight, but I'm still going to try. So uh, we're going to give it the old college try. Well, um, let's start with the story of Legion. Again, that's Matthew 8 is where we're going to begin. If you're not there already, Matthew 8, starting at verse 28. And before we get into this, it's important for you to remember that demons are fallen angels. That's their origin. All right, we've gone over this several times, and it can seem like, you know, pretty redundant at this point. But they are angels, meaning that they have those qualities that an angel has, just in a fallen state now, okay? So they're immaterial, they're spirit beings, they are created by God, they are named by God, all of those things are true, and they have supernatural powers, they're not as strong as God, they're still creatures, okay? They're not little duplicates of God, okay? They're still creatures, but they have power, just like angels have power, but their condition is fallen, that's what you got to remember. Their condition has fallen. So everything carries over, but everything that is carried over is now in a perverted state. And that's what we're going to really get to it toward the end of the lesson. So let's look at uh, Matthew 8, 28 through 34. Would someone read that for us? Go ahead, Aiden. And when he came to the other side, into the country of the... Uh, Gerasenes? Two demon-possessed men confronted him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out, saying, What business do you have with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was a herd of many pigs feeding at a distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you're going to cast us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. And they came and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. And the herdsmen ran away and went to the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. 
All right, so keep your finger there, but turn forward now to Matthew, just the next book, or Mark, rather, sorry, the next book in the New Testament. And we're going to see the story from Mark's angle now. And it covers a lot more territory, which is interesting because Mark is usually the gospel you go to for a truncated version of the story. In this case, we're going there for an extended version of the story. And if I could get someone to read verses 1 through 10 and someone 11 through 20. Andy's got 1 through 10 and Brandon (laughs) has 11 through 20. Okay, so let's just read them back to back and remember... Um, you know, some of the things you saw there in Matthew, keep your finger there, and we're going to synthesize all this. So go ahead, Andy. They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with chain, with a chain. Because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them and they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it to the, in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine, and they began to implore him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him, and he he did not let him go, but, but he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis Mm -hmm. what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed, miracles and healing. All right, so just amazing, amazing, amazing event. Um, And it reveals quite a bit about demons in just this one story from these two different uh, angles, Matthew's angle and Mark's angle. I have seven things listed here that we can learn about demons just from this one encounter that that Jesus had with the man who had the legion. Uh, We see personal pronouns being used. Did you catch them? Did you you see what was being said when the uh, demons would speak through the man? If if you're in Matthew chapter 8, look at verse 31. 
notice that the demons say us. Okay? If you're going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. Or if uh, you're in the Mark version there, you can say, my name is, or you can see there in verse 9, my name is Legion, for we are many. And so there's personal pronouns being used. They have personality. They, have, uh, they can use pronouns just like we do. They are persons, okay, in that sense. They're not human beings. They're not made in the image of God, but they are persons in that sense. There's a name. I am Legion, for we are many. So it seems like Legion was being used as a name there. Um, this is, I think, the closest that we get to a name of a demon, unless um, we want to include Satan on that. But uh, it would make sense that demons have names, because angels, it seems, have names, Gabriel, Michael, etc. Intelligence. How did we see that, or that the demons have intelligence based on this story? Where did they reveal some knowledge? They, rec they recognized Jesus. Yeah, right. They, they recognized who he was um, and communicated to him appropriately uh, because they say, let's see, back in verse 7 of, Matthew, or of Mark chapter 5, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? Whoa. They, remember how uh, James says, even the demons believe and tremble? It's not just that they believe that God is one, as James says, though that's true. They also believe that Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. Uh, so it's pretty amazing that they believe and understand that. Now, they don't believe it in a saving sense, of course. There's a distinction there, but they, they know that. Speech is pretty obvious. They're able to communicate. Kind of crazy. They know languages. Okay, they're able to speak. Uh, pretty amazing. What about will, where they showed some volition, some will? Where did you see that in these passages? Good. Yes, they, uh, they're imploring uh, not to be tormented. They're saying, you know, don't send us into the abyss. They went into the swine instead. Okay, so they had will there on full display, desiring the swine rather than the abyss. What about emotion? Where do we see emotion on the part of the demons? Fear. What was that? Fear. There was fear. Yeah, there was like fear and trembling stuff going on. Um, I should have written that verse down specifically because now I'm talking and trying to find it before I finish my... <laughs> where is it? It says something to the effect of they were, like just straight up says they were afraid or they were trembling. 515. Thank you. Uh, no, that's the people. Why, why am I not finding it? Now everything stops until I find it. I guess the entreating and the imploring kind of implies that. It says it in Matthew. Why did I not? Why did I not write down more specifically? Maybe it's in Luke's version because Luke has a version of the story too. I'm telling you, everything stops till I find this. Luke chapter. <laughs> is it four? Luke chapter four, eight. Four eight. Okay. Luke chapter eight. Demoniac cured. Uh, 
for when they were like imploring him not to send them? Yeah, I thought it was more I thought it was more than that. I beg you, do not torment me. Why am I not finding this verse? I know I saw a verse that was Gonna have, am I going to have to quit? I don't want to quit. Mm, okay. All right, I'm quitting. Next week. No, not next week because we're not meeting next week. That's an important announcement I may have forgotten. Uh, we're not meeting next week on Thanksgiving Eve. We're going to meet the Wednesday after that. And that Wednesday, I'm going to start off with something that whatever I was seeing before, I'm going to find it again, and we're starting with that. All right. So uh, they had an emotion. Just trust me, I guess. And they also displayed supernatural strength. They were, they were empowering the man uh, to have supernatural strength. <clears throat> um, Luke 8, which I was just at, trying to find that other verse, uh, it says that the man, the man had been seized many times. It actually doesn't say the man had been seized many times. Yeah, go over to Luke 8 with me. This is really interesting. Luke 8, 29. Jesus commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him many times. And he, the man, was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. That's a crazy verse, isn't it? Uh, Luke 8, 29. So there's supernatural strength, too. So if we're counting things that we see in this one account, now going across uh, three different accounts, personal pronouns, potentially a name, but definitely intelligent speech, will, emotion, and supernatural strength, okay? Thoughts or questions on uh, that whole event there? Brandon. Mm-hmm. So all of the fallen angels would recognize the other angels because they knew them from before, right? Yeah, I mean, we don't know the number of angels. There are a lot. Um, but yeah, there's definitely recognition to some degree. Yep, for sure. And, oh, Jesus is God. But, how did they recognize Jesus if he wasn't in heaven before he came well, he was, I think. Yeah, but he didn't have a body. He didn't have a body. Yeah. So how, how would they have hmm. him? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Yeah, because there was nothing. It says in Isaiah 53 that there was nothing about him that stood out. It's not like he was glowing when he walked down the streets, you know. <laughs> he, was, he was veiling his glory. Well, demons do have that spiritual insight to things that humans don't in a lot of ways. So um, they go many places, they see many things, hear many things, and what we'll see uh, definitely next time, if not this time, they're even able to disclose some elements of the future through fortune-telling and uh, through some sort of version of prophecy, okay? So knowing all of that, um, and when one of their spiritual ways they acquired that knowledge, whether it was something they observed in his life beforehand or it was something that they had access to in God's program where he gives them access to that kind of knowledge. I mean, because Satan knew who he was when he was trying to tempt Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, he knew exactly mm-hmm. who he was. Yeah, good. Okay, other thoughts or questions in this passage? Good. Okay, um, well, I have this uh, little table up here. As we start looking at more and more passages, and you know, having seen that, I think kind of gets our minds in the right direction as far as what's going on with demons, especially as they're compared to humans. 
But I've got three different um, qualities where we are contrasting humans and demons. The first quality is intelligence. Who has the upper hand on intelligence when it comes to uh, humans and demons? Which one has the upper hand? Anybody want to say humans? Okay. How about power or strength? Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, the, that, that story really showed that, right? They put him in chains and it's like, we bust them. What about their presence? What about uh, presence? Like, um, I don't know, the power of presence or the ability to be present. Um, who's got the upper hand there? That's a tricky one. Hmm. What do they have that we don't? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, we can go swimming, and Jesus said demons go through waterless places. So I guess maybe we have the upper hand with swimming. But, yeah, um, and uh, they, they're able to kind of move around invisibly, like to be a fly on the wall. You ever want to be a fly on the wall? Demons get to be flies on the wall. And they're able to go within a person and to some degree, and we'll look at this a lot next time, to some degree control a person. We can't do that. Jim. But it seems like they didn't have complete freedom because they asked Jesus. Correct. And we go to the pigs. Yep. I mean, if they had complete freedom, I would have, I would have just fled. Yeah. Yes. But they were like, don't send us to the pigs. Can we go to the pigs? Yes, they are, they're still creatures, right? And so like with presence, they're not omnipresent. They can only be in one place at one time. Angels and demons. However, they don't die, and they can just kind of go around faster than we can, and again, invisibly, they can ascertain things. So with all that in mind, I think they've got to have the upper hand on presence too. And so um, keep that in mind as we study through this passage, and I'll go ahead and give you some hope here at the beginning. Um, Who has all knowledge? Who has all power? Who has all presence? And who do we have living inside us? Okay, so, all right, so I want to kind of give you the good news too, not just leave you like, oh, we're going to get destroyed by demons and it's all over. Um, God is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent, right? The omnis of of the faith. Now, we're not those things, we're never going to be those things, but demons aren't those things either. But right now, we're a little lower than the angels, we're a little lower than the demons, and one of these days, the script will flip on that, okay? Okay. But their powers clearly exceed human powers regarding knowledge and strength and presence. And so let's uh, break this down a little bit. Let's um, look at these passages that I have listed under knowledge. Who can get Mark 134? Raise your hand. Mark 134. Joseph. Stacy, you want to get Acts 16, 16 to 19? 2 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15. Rex has that. And I'm going to pick up uh, maybe another passage after that. But let's see, when it comes to knowledge, let's see what they got going on with knowledge. Mark 1, 34, Joseph. It says, And he healed uh, many who were ill with various diseases, and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak, because they knew who he was. All right, so Brandon, there you go. That, that gets to your question too. This is the very beginning of Mark's gospel, Mark 1. And it says that, Jesus was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. And uh, humans hadn't really caught up to that yet. Okay? It's going to take humans a while to catch up. Acts 16, 16 to 19. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, 
Venetian Meadows, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are, pro who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. <clears throat> but when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. All right. So a demon-possessed woman is able to practice fortune-telling. She had a spirit of divination. Now, again, um, demons are not omniscient. They're not God. They don't have all knowledge. But think again of the fly-on-the-wall analogy. If you were able to go somewhere, observe something, discover something to be true, uh, and then go tell other people that such and such is going to happen because you just heard it being planned by other people, I mean, you could make fortune-telling appear to be you know, prophecy or whatever if you have those kinds of abilities. And so they have knowledge, more knowledge than humans, so much so that to us it appears like fortune-telling. Okay, um, and then one more passage, 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen to 15, Rex. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. All right, so they are crafty. They're very, very crafty. Even though they are, of course, of the darkness, they can disguise themselves as angels of light. They know what to do to present themselves as heavenly, to fool somebody. And so here we're seeing knowledge of Jesus, knowledge of events that are going to take place, knowledge of uh, what people will consider to be you know, righteous or holy or good. And all that knowledge that they have is perverted because what do they do with that knowledge? They deceive people. That's what demons do. They take the knowledge that they have, which is greater than ours, and they turn it back on us to deceive us. Okay? You've got to get that relationship down on how that works here. Uh, demons deceive people. That's what they're in the business of doing with their knowledge. So like angels, they're very intelligent, very knowledgeable, more knowledge than us. But unlike angels, they deceive us. Okay? Now, let's uh, consider strength, too. Not just supernatural knowledge, but uh, compared or more knowledge than us, you could say. But there's also more strength than us or supernatural strength. Acts 19, 11 through 20. You can get that one. Mike, that's an exciting passage. You've got to read it with gusto. Okay. And then, uh, let's see, John 13, 2. Who can get that one? John 13, verse 2. Melissa taking the single verse. And <laughs> Revelation 13, 1 to 7, Andy, thank you. Okay, uh, let's look at some supernatural strength of demons. Now, this one really is wild. So if you're um, able to, turn with us to Acts 19 and check out what's going on here. Acts 19, 11 through 20, wild, wild stuff. Go ahead, Mike. Miracles had it. <laughs> thank you. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul. So that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and to the disease left them and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists 
who went from place to place, attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, who Paul preaches. Seven sons and one Sceva, a, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Mm. So you'll notice that as we look at these instances, these three things all kind of flow into each other. Okay, we, we're not looking at one passage that's just about their power or their strength, but you'll, you'll see these elements come together. Like in verse 15, where the evil spirit says, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul. Now that's kind of interesting. Recognize for Jesus, know about for Paul. So I guess demons gossip, huh? Know about Paul. But who are you? So there's a learning curve. They have to learn. And uh, they took some knowledge with them, but we're learning about these other people who were there. But the strength comes up in verse 16 where the man leaps and overpowers them. And they were all naked and wounded when he was done with them. That is, that's pretty crazy stuff. Um, that's very similar to what we saw with uh, Legion, how he was able to break the bonds they would put him in. But it's not just brute force that we see. Uh, they show their strength in other ways, in ways that uh, have to do with working through normal human means. So John 13, 2, Melissa. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Okay. Who put this betraying heart in Judas? Satan. Yeah, Satan himself. The devil put it in his heart. Now, that, of course, has to do with some present stuff, too, but, I mean, that's a, that's a power we don't have, isn't it, to put something in someone's heart? We wish we had that power, and, of course, we all think we would only use it for good, right? I would never use it to have my wife make, like, a pecan pie or something. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but Satan is able to put something into someone's heart. That is crazy. And then there's Revelation 13. In Revelation 13, we're seeing some stuff about the Antichrist here, and we're going to examine this again in the next lesson in more detail. But let's look at verses 1 to 7 of Revelation 13. And as you do, as you consider what's going on here, you need to know that whenever we're uh, talking about the dragon in Revelation 13, we're talking about Satan. And when we're talking about uh, a beast here, we're talking about the Antichrist, and then there's also the uh, Antichrist sa sidekick. But the dragon is Satan. So go ahead, Andy, 13, 1 to 7. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems. And on his heads were blasphemous names. 
And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, and his throne, and great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for forty-two months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints, and to overcome them, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All right, two verses I want to point out to you here. Verse 4, the dragon, who is Satan, gives his authority to the beast, and that authority manifests itself in some pretty awesome strength because the people of the earth look and say, whoa, who can overcome this guy? I mean, who could ever defeat this guy? This guy's so strong, brilliant, whatever, that he's, no, one, no one can wage war with him. But then also verse 7, it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Wow. Aren't you glad you're not going to be living in the tribulation? You have the promise that you will not be overcome. What an amazing promise. Um, but here during the tribulation, these saints are going to be overcome. He's going to make war with them, and they're going to be overcome. And he's going to have authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation. See, we get the promise, don't let your heart be troubled. And that he's going to come back and take us to the Father's house. We get to hang on to that. But for those who are living during this time and these 42 months that are going to be insane, they're going to be overcome here. The saints will be overcome. It's going to be a terrible time. Okay, not trying to make it an eschatology study, but eschatology is important. All right. So um, that's quite a bit of strength. And if you were to keep reading, and I, I had this in my notes that I was going to read it, um, but we'll look at it in the next lesson. 11 through 18 you have uh, more of this stuff going on where there's another beast coming up out of the earth. And uh, verse 12, he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And so this authority kind of passes on. You've got Satan empowering the Antichrist and the Antichrist empowering this one. And uh, they're all strong and they're showing off their, their strength that is supernatural coming from the demonic realm. Okay? Crazy stuff. Thoughts, questions on strength, their supernatural strength? <laughs> if I dip into Revelation and come out with no questions, that's pretty amazing. Okay, Melissa. <laughs> Like you have to have like a uh, all my memories from just growing up. a verbal formula. Yeah, like in the name of Jesus. Like, yeah, yeah. That's not, that's not. Uh, we, we don't get a verbal formula. We do have a pass, a verse um, that its its originality is debatable, 
But when the disciples were unable to cast out a demon, um, Jesus he tells them afterwards, this sort of thing is only able to come out by fasting and prayer. So that's probably as close as we get to a formula. Okay? Um, but at the same time, we're not God. Anytime that we would try to like, enforce a demon to do something, and we'll talk more about this later because we are going to finish up this series with a couple of really applicable lessons. Well, we're still not God. It's as, the, it's as the Lord wills that these things happen, okay? Um, God, as we've said over and over again, He's in, even in control of the evil spirits, the wicked spirits. And um, we have to be really careful about strutting around like we get to just say, say things and they happen. We've got to be really careful about that. Okay, Andy. I've, I've actually thought about that verse that you're talking about, Melissa, and these seven sons of Sceva, right? They said that we abjure you in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. Second, second hand or third hand knowledge. Yeah. Right? It's like uh, the magicians who would follow the apostles around and right. try to replicate. You know? And I, I guess kind of the point that sticks in my mind is we know the risen Lord. It's like first hand knowledge through his spirit inside of us. It doesn't give us you know, power to go ordering demons around or anything. But on the flip side of that, it also means because the Holy Spirit's inside of us. Yeah. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Exactly. Yeah, the strong man in the house, right? <sighs> Another possible origin for that thinking would be Jude 1-9 when Michael's fighting with Satan and says that the Lord rebuke you. But even then, he's not saying in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Joseph? What about that passage we read where Paul was getting frustrated with that demon and commanded him to come out with Jesus? So I guess on the contrary, there there's examples of people... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we just have to be really careful about thinking that we can do what Paul did. That's the same uh, passage, I believe. If not, it's an adjacent passage. No, yeah, it was the one that Mike read, 19. I talked about handkerchiefs. I mean, I, yeah, I, I've been around charismatic Christians who believe they could do the handkerchief thing. That they anointed a handkerchief and they gave a handkerchief to somebody and that person was cured of blindness. I was around people that talked about that. Okay. Not true. Just not true. Evelyn. Um, so I have talked to, or known, I guess, in my life, people that deal with the occult, that go down that mm-hmm. Not if you have the truth with you. I mean, that's the big difference. Well, do, do you dabble with the spiritual in the truth, or do you dabble in the truth in the, or in the well, spiritual realm? I guess in... if you think you can cast out demons, like we were talking mm-hmm. about exorcisms and stuff last week, and the Catholic Church does it, mm-hmm. isn't that kind of 
Yeah, well, I mean, but that, but doesn't that make all the difference w whether you actually have it or not? <clears throat> Yeah. Well, it, it's it's weird for us. Yeah. Yeah. You could with anything. You can take it too far. Yeah. With anything, you can make it weird. Um, with this, we have to be careful about saying, I'm going to turn a blind eye because this is the world we're living in. Right. And so uh, God has revealed so much about it, we just have to be equipped. Uh, the, the evil one is firing his flaming darts at us. So we have to be equipped with the full armor of God, including the word of God, the, the sword. So, um, but yes, you can go. You can definitely go too far. Melissa? <laughs> we'll just pass notes. <laughs> they can't read our minds. Yeah. You you are not guilty of their sins. So, um, yeah. I mean, it, it's it that, that's a. I understand where you're coming from, um, but. Yeah, but what does God command us to do? He's commanded us to gather together, to admonish one another in the truth, to speak the truth to one another in love, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, because then if we, like, start hiding stuff, we're giving them power over us. It becomes sort of superstitious-type behavior. Yes, yeah, yeah. Don't be afraid of, don't be afraid of that. And I think a big thing we have going for us is our unity. And our mm, oh, amen, so yeah. we don't stand together and talk about our hard Mm -hmm. That helps the demons isolate ourselves mm -hmm. from the church and our fellowship. Yes. So I'd say it's the worser of two evils. <laughs> well, I, sorry, it's a okay. thought had occurred to me also, though, that when you're talking about occult things, you know, you're talking to a medium, and it is entirely possible that they can say things that only you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Right? Confirmation mm -hmm. that. Nobody else was there. It was me, right? And this this thing happened, and they can give you that, and it's just like, okay, yeah, right. Yeah, if you so, thought Santa was the only one who knew if you'd been bad right, or good, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Santa's a team. <laughs> Correct. Chris Kringle is the spawn of Satan. Legitimacy yes. To a because from our perspective, exactly. it's like it's the fortune telling. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. Greg. Not saying that. No. I'm just. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good clarification. Just saying, um, if we start strutting around like we're the Apostle Paul and can spot demons, I mean, I think it's incredibly difficult in our particular culture, in whatever way demons are operating today, it's really difficult for us to spot them um, than it was then or even in some other places in the world today where the demonic manifestations seem to be more in line with what we see in the Gospels and in Acts. 
Um, so number one, I think it's difficult for us to have that kind of certainty and confidence like the apostles. And two, um, and just in spotting them, but also that certainty and confidence in telling them what to do. Uh, the apostles had a special type of authority. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they've been around with the prophets. They've been around with Jesus. Before Adam. Exactly. Yeah. And they've been hearing what, what they've been telling the church, yet they still think that they're corrupt and they're perverted, they're twisted. They still think that they're going to be God. They well, still, do you know what I mean? Because no. that's why they're going to... Um, so what I'm trying to say is that here in the... Like what Melissa and Stacy were saying, they can hear us and that um, they hear us and that, but yet they've been hearing the prophets and the disciples yes. all this time, but yet they still don't realize the truth. Well, the, yeah, there's. I guess I'm saying we don't have to be afraid of them because the word shows us that they're, they're corrupt, they're twisted, they're not going to win. They right. One word will fell him. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. There's an indication when uh, there are some demons that spoke to Jesus, saying, "Are you here to torment us before the day?" Mm-hmm. They had an I, they have an idea that there's a day of reckoning. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, in the meantime, before that day, they're going to do all that they can. Right. No doubt about it, because that's all they got. There's no redemption. Oh. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Well, um. The, the last element, I don't think I, I covered this one yet, knowledge, strength, and power. I want to just hit that one real quick um, with, or knowledge, strength, and presence, rather. Uh, I want to hit that real quick just to round this out. There are a couple of verses here that are interesting when it comes to the, the presence of demons or even Satan himself. Actually, both of these passages are about Satan himself. Now, one of them is Acts 5.3 with Ananias and Sapphira when they lied to the apostles. Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? Now, that's an interesting way to phrase that. Satan has filled his heart. Now, um, does that mean that Satan wasn't doing anything else in the world, but he was only there filling Ananias literally? It could mean that. It could also just mean the influence of Satan had reached Ananias' heart. I mean, either way you interpret that, I think, is possible there. But we do know, of course, that demons can possess people. They can go into people. They have that ability to be present in that way, and Satan himself can do that. Um, Yet another passage that doesn't include going into a person, filling a person, but still speaks to the uh, amazing presence that Satan and demons can have is Matthew 13, 
where Jesus is telling the parable about the uh, soils. And you have that seed that falls on the stony path and the bird comes and snatches it away. And when he explains that, he says in Matthew 13, 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So Satan and his minions can show up to snatch away the word of the gospel from a person's mind, person's heart, uh, when that person doesn't understand, doesn't show any interest, doesn't make any kind of commitment, doesn't show any faith, he is able to come along and snatch away what has been sown in his heart. That's, that's a pretty uh, intimate presence uh, that someone can have, pretty personal, that a, that a demon could have or that Satan himself could have. So I wanted to highlight those passages to just emphasize that um, they're not limited by physicality. They move and they act quickly. They, they have a different type of presence than we do. We also saw, of course, with Legion, that many demons can fill one person. Perhaps with Legion, there were 2,000 demons, because that's how many swine ran and were drowned. 2,000 demons inside of one person. That's a different type of relationship with the physical realm than we have. Um, and they can just directly affect people's minds and hearts. Okay? Thoughts, questions on that? Brandon. I'm jumping back a little bit. Okay. So Judas, Satan touched his heart, right? Mm -hmm. God had to have allowed that, right? Yep. So yeah, he, that, it was even prophesied. Right. Mm -hmm. and Jesus knew it was going to happen. Mm -hmm. All, he, they already knew. Yes. Did he have a choice to not do it? Oh, Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. Oh, oh, oh. Anna, do you have a question? <laughs> Tyler, go ahead. I love the question, but I really hate the question. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, there's so many different ways to go at this, and there's just not enough, not enough time in the world to cover this question. Uh, was Judas always going to end up doing what he did? Yes. Yes. Was it absolutely certain before Judas was born that he was going to do what he did? Yes. Locked in. Is that enough, or do I need to keep going? No, no, that's good. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Well, let me let me add to it. Was Judas totally responsible for what he did? Oh, you betcha. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. So if you if you can hold both of those things and not not pretend like you have it all figured out because you're not God, but if you can hold both of those things that it was an absolute lock that Judas was going to do what he did and he's absolutely responsible for his sin, if you can say both of those things are true, you've got it. You've got as far as you can go uh, from the creaturely perspective. Okay. And having said that like that, I just want to know, so do you believe that he had, that he had free will though, to choose that? Well, it depends on how we define free will. Totally de depends on how you define that. Um, d could he have lived in such a way that the prophecy that was made by Zechariah would not have come to pass? No, I just want to know how you guys believe that if you believe... Well, there's going to be different views. There's going to be different ways of explaining right. this. I'm just one guy. Do you guys believe that he 
Well, but, but depend, de define free will. Well, I can't answer your question if I don't know your... Well, it, Yep. And there are many other verses. You know, we all have free will. But yet I know that at the same time, God knew that that was going Just like what um, somebody said over there, that when the, when, even when Jesus was, well, even with the, Egypt, the, the, the um, Israelites yeah. in the Old Testament, they saw all those miracles, all those things that God did. And yet, what did God say to that 40? To that generation, that it's been forty years for each one day for each one year for each day that that uh, you know that they were gonna all, all that whole generation was gonna uh -huh. perish because of their unbelief except for Joshua and Caleb, you know. And yet they they, they saw all that and then even during Jesus yeah. too. And yet even now, you know, we when God shows us something and then later on we kind of because that's our human nature. But but I'm just I just wanted to know. But I can ask you. Yeah, it, well, it, all, it entirely depends on how you define free will, because obviously we don't have uh, the ability to use our free will to fly to the moon, flap our arms and fly to the moon, okay? okay? We don't have the uh, ability to um, be perfect. We, according to Romans, don't have the ability to please God in our natural state or, or submit to the law or submit to the law of God. Okay, so as long as we're starting to define free will, we can get to a place where we can talk about it, but... Uh -huh. It's never us that does it. He does it. Yes. Anyway, that's another. Yep, it is. That's a whole can of worms that Brandon opened for us. Yep. <laughs> it wasn't Brandon. It was Robert. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Tell Robert he can't come next time. Okay, well, let me, um, let me just cover the first part of the bottom half of the sheet, and I think next time we'll pick up with the bottom of the bottom. Okay? Uh, Satan and demons are perverted and will be punished. Their ultimate goal is to lead people into death. Let's all go to Matthew 12 together, Matthew chapter 12, and uh, see here, of course, how they are defined as wicked or unclean. I would remind you, too, of a, a proverb, Proverbs 16.25, though it says it in another place in Proverbs, too, basically word for word. Uh, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. Okay? Uh, keep that in mind as you think about the role of demons and how they're tricking people in this world and what their ultimate destination is. Uh, demons play into that reality. Well, let's look at Matthew 12, 43 to 45. Would someone read those three verses for us? Who's got it? Thank you, Stacey. Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept in, put in order. <clears throat> then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will also be with this evil generation. All right. So we've got a couple of adjectives that are employed here. First, in verse 43, the spirit is called what? What kind of spirit? Okay. And then 45... What adjective do we get? Wicked. Wicked. So those are terms used to describe their moral state. They are unclean. They are wicked. 
And what's interesting about this passage is apparently there are varying levels of wickedness because the uh, demon goes and gets other demons more wicked than itself. More wicked than itself. Now, they're all wicked. They're all fallen. It's not like any of them are good. But um, again, going back to what we've learned about rank of angels or rank of demons, uh, perhaps more influence, more abilities, etc., that other demons are able to have makes them more wicked. Um, a thought to share with you, yeah, this, I don't have a passage connected to this, but we know that when demons do this, when an unclean, when a wicked spirit comes upon a person, that wicked, unclean spirit is going to lead that person into wicked and unclean things, okay? So um, always have that in mind. There's going to be a result. When a demon comes upon a person, there's going to be some sort of result that flows from that. They're going to practice untrue things. They're going to believe false things. There will be immorality. There will be impurity, uh, impurity in thought and impurity in action. In fact, when you read about false teachers in the New Testament, if you're reading Jude or 2 Peter 2 or any of those various passages, so many of what false teachers are, are moral. I mean, obviously they're, they're heretical. They teach false things. They believe false things. But when you read through those lists of what false teachers are, so much of it has to do with their behavior. It has to do with the state of their, their heart, the impurity of their heart. And that, of course, is influenced by the demonic realm. That's, there's a connection to that. Um, John chapter 8 and 1 John 4. Who can get John 8, 42 to 44 for us? Greg? And then 1 John 4, verses 1 through 4. 1 John 4, 1 to 4. Mandy, thank you. So in these passages, we're going to find out some more about death and deception. Okay, both of these passages are written by the Apostle John and uh, speak directly to the death and deception brought about by demons and Satan himself. So go ahead, Greg. Okay, so two grievous sins lie at the heart of Satan's nature. He's a murderer from the beginning, and he lies because he speaks from his own nature. He's a liar at heart. So what do demons do when they're doing Satan's work, their master's work? They're leading people into death. They're leading people into deception. That's what's at the heart of what demons are doing. And then 1 John 4, 1 through 4. Okay, so we're called in verse 1 there to test the spirits 
because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So you see the connection between false teachers, false prophets, and evil spirits, the spirit of the Antichrist or the spirit of Antichrist that's gone out into the world manifests itself through false prophets and false teachers. And we'll finish with this one. Let's all turn there together. Matthew 17, Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 to 21, where again, we see death is at the heart of what they're all about. Matthew 17, 14 to 21, and I'll read that for us. We'll um, talk about this passage again next time. So this is kind of like the uh, story of Legion, where it's like you read it and like, wow, I've got a whole bunch of questions about what's going on there. There's a lot to see, but we'll talk about it more next time. Matthew 17, starting at verse 14. It says, when they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic and is very ill. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, and here's what I was talking about earlier, Melissa, why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. But this kind of thing does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So, Again, lots to see, lots of questions, lots of thoughts on that passage. But uh, for our purposes tonight, thinking about how demons have perverted purposes in the world, quite clearly demons are opposed to human life. They're opposed to human flourishing. They uh, seek to lead people into uh, torment, into harmful practices. Okay? Now, the good news is they will be punished, and that's where we'll pick up next time, is that their end will be the lake of fire. Their demise is absolutely certain, okay? But we got a few minutes here, so any thoughts, questions on any of that? Virginia. Are you dragging us back into this can of worms? <laughs> I want to go into the worms to see if we can put it Okay. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. That was, that was my understanding was that, that Judas was to, you know, predestined to do that and was forgiven yeah. before it happened. Forgiven before it happened. Oh, no. <laughs> No, oh, Virginia, you're fine, you're fine. So there's, uh, you were in some, my Sunday school class on Sunday, right? You were in my Sunday school class this past Sunday, right? Yes. We looked at Acts chapter 4, and we saw that word predestined used there, which was really interesting. And I didn't bring it up then, but now you're starting to bring it up more. Yeah, I am. Well, well Brandon is. <laughs> <laughs> he did. It's his fault. Yeah, so, so there is a predestination element, not just to people, but to events. And in Acts 4, we saw that where the apostles are praying and praying to God in Jerusalem and saying uh, that Jesus was killed there in Jerusalem, just as God had predestined it to happen. And you, you read a passage like that and you think, wow, really? 
He predestined that to happen because obviously the Father didn't come down and nail Jesus to the cross. Sinful men did, and they're predestined to do that. And that's like a mind bender for us and makes us a bit uncomfortable, but that's what happened. So with Judas, there's a lot of the same thing going on where, uh, yeah, with Judas, he was predestined to do what he did, but just like the guys who drove the nails through Jesus's hands and feet were guilty, Judas was still guilty of what he did. Um, there was never a time when Judas repented. There was never a time when Judas was forgiven of that sin because he never had faith in the Lord Jesus. Peter denied Christ three times, and Jesus called it. So that was, go- that was a lock, too. That was going to happen. Peter was going to deny Jesus three times before the rooster crowed, and he did. But then he had repentance afterwards. So uh, one way to think about it is Judas had remorse, but Peter had repentance. Judas was sad and hanged himself, but he didn't repent. Peter repented and was forgiven by Christ and, of course, was used mightily in the building of the church. Yeah, there's a compatibility that exists between human responsibility and God's sovereignty. Yes. I don't like the term free will, though, because too many people define that too differently. Uh, Human responsibility I like a lot better, where people are making real choices and they're responsible for their choices. But free will... Sometimes you'll meet people that say, you know, we're just all totally libertarian free. We can choose to do whatever we want from birth. That's not the case. We are unable to please God. Sure. Jesus said it would be better if he had not been born. Yes. Right. Yeah. Shows the depth of that sin, huh? Are you raising your hand or stretching? Okay, Jim. Different subject here. Okay. <laughs> when uh, God sent his evil spirit to taunt Saul, King Saul. Yeah. Was that a demon? Yeah. I don't know how you would have an evil spirit phrased that way. Turn. I don't. I don't know how you would have anything else being represented by that term than a demon. Did you have a thought? Did you have a different view? No. I'm just. It seems that demons have a way. Other than just possessing. Oh, one million percent, yes. Whether that's whispering in our ear or whatever. Or just organizing stuff out there that trickles down to us. Uh, that happens a lot. But it seems yeah. like, yeah, just like with Saul, they said when the spirit was selling him, he would get angry yes. and mean and try to kill David and everything. And, but, and uh, even with uh, Judas, it doesn't say that he possessed him. It says Satan put it in his yeah. Yeah, demon possession. Possession is not a term we get from the text. The word is demonization. And the next study is going to be about demonization. That's what we're going to talk about next time. And, but before we talk about that, we're also going to talk about other ways they influence us because it isn't just taking up residence, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially when you think of, like with the Antichrist, how much influence the Antichrist is going to have in the future. If they're able to influence him and do things through him, and that'll trickle down and affect millions and millions of people. And so, um, yeah, for sure. Okay, I need to pray and uh, dismiss us. If you've got any more questions, just stick around, and I'll stay up here, and we can chat about it. But I'm going to pray, and we'll be uh, free to go. Lord, we thank you again for uh, your word and our time together. We thank you that you are in us, and you are greater than he who is in the world. 
God, we thank you so much that by your Holy Spirit's power, we can stand against the devices of the evil one, that we can extinguish his flaming darts. Lord, help us to understand more and more how we are to do that, that we would take a discerning mind into all of life, not opening ourselves up to the wicked practices of demons uh, or Satan himself, but that we would always be on our guard and be on the alert, seeking to please you in all ways. Lord, I, I love you so much. I love this church and ask your protection over us that you would help us to grow up in all things in love and unity and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. <laughs>